Welcome to a FortiGuard Threat Intelligence Podcast. I'm Alex Harvey. I'm Derek Mankey. With that, we've got three good topics today. Firefox Zero Day, two of them actually. Dell support software flaw and legit Android turned spyware. With that, Firefox Zero Day. So there's two Firefox Zero Day exploits in the wild currently. One of them is CVE 2019-11707. Um, they only target desktop versions of Firefox, right? So like the Android, the iOS versions are not targeted as well as the um, smart TV versions. So it's really only the desktop versions. An ex exploitable crash in JavaScript, obviously, that's attacking an array pop function, which causes a universal, what's being called a, called a universal cross-site scripting attack. Mm. So it's allowing them to basically inject code into any website they want via this exploit, via getting a form of remote code execution. There is no sandbox escape yet, at least not attached to this one directly, meaning they can't execute things directly on your box. Yeah, so there's a little bit of a safeguard there for sure. Um, it's you know it's surprising that there's only two two O days with Firefox right now <laughs> circulating as well, right? I was just looking at um, at NIST at the MVD, the National Vulnerability Database. Uh, Browser-based exploits are still quite common. We see qu uh, quite a few of these. Uh, more so, I, I would say, obviously, on, on Firefox than uh, than Chrome. Uh, I think that's an investment in resource thing, right? Oh, if you yeah. look at Chrome, has a massive auditing team behind it, and Firefox yeah. does not. Yeah. And Firefox got burned. These two have been in the last, I'd say, the last uh, about less than a week and a half in time. We've seen two of them come out that have been very, very bad that they've had to do emergency patches for yeah. from all their long-term releases. So not just like their latest, they had to go back really far in their releases to make sure that everyone got the updates needed, essentially. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, so so in the MVD alone, if you just look at amount of total amount of CVEs that have been uh, released just in the last three years, the number's at just over 42,000. Um, I didn't get the exact number on the browser-based exploits, but, uh, you know, it is it is a significant a uh, chunk, chunk of that. that. And, and surprise, surprise, JavaScript's at the, <laughs> at the yeah. center of it again, right? Well, it's an easy target. Yeah. It's spread out. Everyone uses it, yeah. right? You have Firefox, you've got Chrome, and you've got WebKit, the Apple one. Those are your main browsers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you can pick off one of those th three and get a good exploit on it, it's worth real money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So with that... Dell support software flaw. So this one, we'll give it to Dell. It's not Dell directly. I want to just put that out there at the beginning. They have a tool called Support Assist, mm -hmm. which ships on all their boxes. It's the blue icon with the wrench that you often see if you bought a Dell. Um, both the business and the personal sales actually come with it. Different versions, but both of them are vulnerable. Um, it's been patched since. They're saying millions of users at this point, but there is a CVE for this one, CVE 2019-12280. Basically, this tool, Support Assist, runs as system level. So it runs in ring zero or root if you want, um, and it loads or can load insecure directory from a user accessible folder. So you can basically bootstrap code into a system level process with no verification. Um, it's kind of a terrible one to have because it basically gives someone root on your system. If they can copy a DLL file to this folder, you're done. They now own your machine. Mm. Um, as I said just briefly, it's not Dell directly. This was written for them by PC Doctor, and PC Doctor says they have hundreds of millions, sorry, hundreds of millions of installs. Yeah, but so so this is, you know, we're talking about this earlier. This is uh, chain of trust, right? So supply supply chain. chain yeah. yeah. Dell got burned by PC doctor. Yeah, and and you know, we've seen this time and time again, right? I mean, 
we, we've had physical supply chain security issues that date all the way back, you know, well, well over 10 years ago. I remember a case of digital uh, picture frames that were at a very large distributor, <laughs> uh, one of the largest in the world, that, um, you know, uh, we're, we're shelving all of these um, picture frames that, that came baked or pre, preloaded with, uh, with malware. It was just somebody yeah. loading up the, the firmware with a USB key that was infected um, at, at the factory, right? That's, that's on the physical side, but it's really no different when it comes to the virtual side of software like this. Um, you know, anything shipping with known vulnerabilities um, to a very wide user base uh, can be a, a big issue. And, you know, it's the same thing uh, with, with integrated components, obviously. We get into the whole uh, patch management issues for that. You know, we, we dealt with that with Shellshock years ago. Um, well, I was going to say, this isn't the first time we have a support application on a major laptop distributor mm -hmm. come pre-infected with malware. Yeah, it's definitely, or a vulnerability. Not, definitely not the first <laughs> no. time, yeah. And this is a little different because it's not pre-infected with malware. It's but, not pre-infected, it's pre-vulnerable. Right, but it's but that's still a major issue, right? So yeah. there the definitely has to be. Yeah, the previous one I'm thinking of, which we talked about in our previous episode, came pre-infected with malware via its update mechanism. This is not nearly as bad, but it's still a vector for someone to get root, which is a very, we look at those as being critical vulnerabilities, right? Because someone being able to copy a file into user space, that can happen. But then being able to escalate from that to system access is tricky. Yeah, and, and just given the user, the estimated user base and the, uh, you know, it, it's a, a juicy market for cyber criminals, right? Yeah. I mean, they're always going after path of least resistance, less effort. And if there's a known, a known vuln on a very large surface like that, uh, guaranteed we're going to start to see activity, a pretty, pretty significant activity. On yeah. That. And the other thing is it's not necessarily a tool that a lot of people update. Everyone just kind of tries to close it as quickly as possible and make it disappear. It's not something they want to be seeing or being nagged about, which just increases the risk of it being used because it's going to sit there in your system tray. You're never going to look at it, but it's now a weakness on your system. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I'd say with stuff like this is that auditing, you're not going to find it via auditing, but knowing that the vulnerabilities are out there and keeping an eye on what comes pre-installed on your systems and being aware of like, hey, is there anything with this? Do I actually need this? Are we leveraging it for anything, right? Try to reduce your surface area is a big one with trying to mitigate some of these risks. Um, the other thing is, you know, good endpoint security will kind of help with picking up stuff like this. Once it's known, the endpoint security software will flag it, and then at least you'll know that you have something on your system. Yeah. Um, and from a strategic perspective, too, like I said, it all comes down to to trust, right? So it's uh, the idea of connected piece it, right? Um, different vendors with integrated components are going to have their own product security teams, but the more that those product security teams can collaborate, i.e. checking, on frameworks and models that they use and, and being more in sync for release cycles, um, you know, it goes a long way to help fix issues like this too. Yeah, that that's behind the scenes that we really hope there'll be improvements on. And we've seen improvements on it in the past decade. Yeah. It's gotten a lot better. For sure, yeah. Like I'm we're seeing more of these, but we're saying it because it's happening because there's a lot more research in it, which is a good thing. Because I'm sure these vulnerabilities were there ten years ago mm -hmm. we just didn't know about them. Yeah. Right? So now we know about them, which is always nice. Yeah, absolutely. So with that last one is um, Legit Android apps turn spyware. We've spoken about this before, um, specifically with some Brazilian apps that were being uh, built this being targeted against Brazil. This one is different. This one's targeting the Middle East. Um, so this is ViceLeak. It's been ongoing since 2016. It was first published about in 2018. It uses the Treeout um, Android malware, which again, we've also spoken about in the past. Um, this one is more of a phishing install target rather than you know masquerading as the legit app for that region. Um, that's kind of one of the biggest difference we're seeing at the moment with this one going on. But again, it's 
what they do is they take a legit application, they basically download it from the app store, they get the APK, they unpack it, they put in their malware as part of it, they repack it up, put it back in the app store, and then try and pass it off as legit software. Yeah. And, you know, this is uh, going back into the PC world, right? Um, uh, you know, PE files, this was a favorite trick 20 years ago, right? Yep. For, now we're seeing it yeah, in an Android malware. I, I mean, back then it was uh, file appenders, right? So just adding another section onto the executable. Um, same sort of idea. You, you run it as an end user. Everything functions as normal and it seems fine, except for there's after the normal execution routine uh, comes the, the the malicious one, which is usually silent in the background. And yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? This reminds me of uh, uh, compiler malware. Obviously, this is a tool for injection, but it's the same sort of concept, right? Taking a legitimate stream or process and uh, adding uh, an infection on, on onto it. Um, but some fun, fun facts on that. 1984, Ken Thompson, I think you remember that guy. He wrote yeah. a book called Reflections on Trusting Trust. Uh, and this was basically a proof of concept, you know, so this is back 1984 and the book was about a proof of concept of turning a C compiler into uh, automatically injecting backdoors into code as it compiled. So the idea has been around a long time. In 2009, I remember um, there was a, a virus called Induck. So this infected Delphi compilers. I don't think there's a lot of Delphi compilers out there anymore. But. Yeah, I doubt there's a lot of that now, but <laughs> yeah. it's still that same thing of like manipulating the file and changing what's in it. And with the Android one, we've seen it happen more and more in different regions and different strategies being taken to try and get the user to accept this quote unquote legit app, which isn't legit anymore. Right. And that's where the scams are coming in. That's yeah. the phishing. That's the like, yeah. hey, the telegram messages, those are, you know, yeah. whatever messaging, the WhatsApp, um, the Facebook messages like, hey, I can't be reached here. Click this link to install the app so you can talk to me. <laughs> right. Like that's the the typical message that's being used to to spread it. And we've seen that for how long we've seen that. So oh, that yeah. with SMS back in like, yeah. oh, I want to say 2007, 2008 yeah, for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. Symbian operating system days yep. too, right? Uh, but there weren't as many apps back then. A lot of it was just battery draining. But that's the thing now, right? Because apps are so functional. It's so easy to, um, when you're executing it again, it looks completely normal. So it's not, it's not suspicious to the end user, right? Yeah, and there's a big juicy target. Your phone has probably all, most of your personal data and the most personal data that you carry with you exist yeah. on your phone. Yeah, and this is another reminder too. I mean, uh, we live in a very click-happy world, right? Uh, anything from EULAs to to uh, access permissions when installing these apps yeah. too, right? So that's the other key difference that users should be aware of. And also typical things like avoiding third-party application stores. Um, you know, obviously look doing a little bit of research on the app. Um, the icons are going to look very similar, yeah. the same. Um, but, you know... How long ago was it published? I mean, this, this was happening years ago with Angry Birds, I remember, right? Yeah, the Angry Birds one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you're going to install something or you're being told to install something, don't click the link. Go to the store, search for it, find the legit one, which is usually easier to find because they're usually near the top. The malware ones are usually not the top ones. Yeah. And then at least that way, you're, you're kind of at least verifying where you're getting it from. Yeah. There's another one last year, uh, Xcode Ghost. This was yeah. an I iOS... Uh, compiler malware, which was interesting as well. So we're not just seeing these on Android either. Yeah. Right? But we actually had that in one of our past episodes as uh, well. Cool. And with that, guys, thank you for tuning in. All right. Thank you.